This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 265 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. If you're listening, this is your last show before the live event in Louisville with Bro Ohio. So just remember, Louisville, 6 o'clock, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. You can get your tickets. Tickets are not going to be sold at the door, so you need to get them beforehand. And there's only like 20 tickets left. Nice. So, we didn't normally don't talk about this, but since it's at the very beginning, I need to. I know we cannot wait. We're so excited. All right, we'd like to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all you men, women, and service animals for everything you do. You lay it on the line every day for us, and we appreciate it. Amen to that. Keeping you guys in our prayers. We love you guys so much, and thank you for being our angels on this earth. Tracy, there is so much going on in the world these days, and a lot of people are just really suffering some mental effects from it. And if you watch the news, it just seems like there's always something depressing. Yeah, just don't watch the news. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm watching, you know, people have their kids are starting to go back to school and stuff. So think happy thoughts. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a situation to where you can't think happy thoughts for whatever reason, sometimes your mind just don't let you. You have an outlet here. You can reach out to us. We'll talk to you. Uh, We have the group that is more than willing to talk to you at any time. Sometimes you just want to get this stuff off your chest, even if you don't realize it at the time. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And it really does help you. It does a world of good just to talk to somebody. I know we field several either phone calls or emails or text messages every week with people who just want to talk. Mm -hmm. And they feel much better after they do. And then we see it in the group. But we just want everybody to know that we're there for you. And uh, don't feel like that you have nobody because you actually have plenty of people that that want to talk to you. Absolutely. Anytime, day or night, please reach out to us. But if you feel like you would rather call the hotline, you can call that number, 800-273-8255. You can also text them at 741-741. But we beg of you, please, please reach out. We're always here for you no matter what. Absolutely. Because we love you guys. We and you do. mean the world to us. Yes. You you are our world. You no are. are definitely. And Tracy, we have DC O'Rourke on tonight. You're going to absolutely love this. He's host of the Hauntingly Yours podcast. It's a great Facebook group, by the way, also. So if great. you're on Facebook, go jump on that group. But DC O'Rourke is a paranormal investigator, but he is also a tour guide for uh, Colonial Williamsburg. For the haunting uh, parts of Colonial Williamsburg. Oh, how exciting. What a great job. Yeah. So it's like all kinds of cool stuff. And he mm-hmm. had just got through with this awesome investigation. And um, he had something incredible happen like three days before we were going to do the interview. Oh. So it was like. Oh, good timing. Yeah. It was like perfect timing. 
And and what's really cool is where this happened at, he had left, but he had left his dowsing rods. Uh-huh. And he had to go back. So he was actually at the location where this happened when he recorded our interview. Well, he was supposed to be nice. on the road. Yeah. And he ended up being, they set him up in a room there. Very good. So oh, I got, I got the, video, the video of this that I'll put out here a little later. This oh, week, great. But, awesome. So. A little extra something, something. Yeah. So this will be fun. Tracy? Jerry? <laughs> Stop calling I, me by my name. I really struggled with the pronunciation of this week's show. Oh, what else is new? Well, no, this is way different. Okay, so <laughs> this is, I'm going to spell it for you. It's a lighthouse. Oh, okay. And it's spelled S-E-U-L. That's the first word. Mm-hmm. Second word, C-H-O-I-X, point. So, 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 so. So you're cho- taking forever. So choil, <laughs> so that, not choil, so choil, so choil. I don't know. I can't even say it now. My tongue's twisted. Well, I would have thought, had I not looked at the pr- pronunciation, that it would have been so choy. That's what oh, I, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Right. Well, you're still wrong. Oh. It is C. Schwa. It's French. Ooh, that's kind of pretty. I like it. Yeah, C. Schwa. Yeah, I, I would have never got that, ever. <laughs> so C. Schwa, C. Schwa, C. 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 Schwa. You're going to have trouble with this, I, aren't you? I told you. C. Schwa Point Lighthouse which would be known as just Lighthouse from this point on. There you go. <laughs> it it sits on the shores of Lake Michigan in Gulliver, Michigan. The name roughly translates to the only choice. Oh, that's wow. What, that's what it mostly means. Now, this came about because even though it was a little small harbor, the French voyagers that were there at the time found it to be a very safe spot along a very long and open stretch of Lake Michigan. So it was like, Hey, here's a little dip in, yeah. more or less. And it's found our little nook. Yeah. And so, therefore, that was the only choice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Makes That's a lot that. of sense. The original construction of the lighthouse started in 1886. That is when Congress appropriated the money to have the lighthouse actually built. Unfortunately, there were several delays, including rebuilding the tower. So, it didn't actually open up until September of 1895. It's like nine years after it was started. Damn, that's so long. I know it. Originally, the tower was fitted with a third order Fresnel lens, which if you know anything about Fresnel lenses, then they were much better than the first and the second order. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The beam would project up to 17 miles away. It now has an airport beacon installed. So, no more Fresno lens. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to St. Augustine. I don't know if we've mentioned that before on the show. (laughs) What kind of noises are you making? Oh, I'm sorry. I was itching my eyeball and hit my lens. Sorry, (laughs) y'all. You're not itching an eyeball. You're scratching an eyeball. Or scratching an eyeball. Anyways, so the Fresno lens, which was like the top of the line deal that's at St. Augustine, I think is still the original light that was there from like the 1800s. That is very cool. Wow. Fun fact. That is a fun fact. No, you didn't ask for it. All right. The tower is 79 feet tall and has a two-story keeper building attached to it. They added a brick rear addition in 1925, and this let the building not only house the family, but an assistant. Well, that's cool. Though there is some a little confusion here on my part. Um, and I'll tell you about that in a second. 
But I would love to have a job as a lighthouse keeper like today because what we do now, we could do from anywhere. Mm -hmm. And these lighthouses, it's usually just, you know, it would just be us. Right. And I think that would be cool to be able to just live in a lighthouse and still be able to do this. And Well, I will, I will add to that. Only if it has a daggone elevator. I ain't climbing them steps all the time. Well, you, you just stay in the house. You well, don't have to climb me. it there. Well, I don't want not. You they can don't, like, I, not leave? Huh? Ever? No, but you know, the, the house is separate than the, the house is separate than the tower. Oh, that's true. And there's no need to, to walk up to the tower because it's got an automated light. You would probably rarely have to go up there. Oh, that'd be, be cool. in the house and probably conducting tours when people came back. Yeah. That would be kind of fun, though, for Which real. means you would probably have to climb up the steps for the tours. Oh, No, yeah. we'd just be like, have at it. There you go. <laughs> Let me know if you see anything up there. <laughs> <laughs> the grounds also have a foghorn building, two oil houses, and an assistant keeper residence. Here's where my confusion comes in. Okay. It said that they built an addition onto the back. Mm-hmm. So now it could house the family and an assistant keeper. But then it says there's a, a separate building that's an assistant keeper's residence. Well, I mean, maybe that's just what they meant. The family has a place. Yeah, but it, they made, that's what I'm saying. They made it sound like there's a separate building completely. And if that's just an addition onto the main one. So I don't know if there's an addition where the keeper assistant keeper used to stay or if there's a completely separate building is what I'm saying. So I'm confused on how many buildings are there. Oh, and well, maybe you just Google stayed with the family. Talking. I don't know. Putting Anyways. too much thought into it. Well, I want to be as accurate as I can for these people. Okay. They depend on my accuracy. I did. Well, okay. And I don't want somebody to come say, I've been to that lighthouse and there's not a separate building. Fake. I don't want that to happen. Is that how they're going to talk? It might. Depends on who the person is. Somebody I'm sure listening to us talks like that. <laughs> You're so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It remained a manned lighthouse from 1895 to 1973. It was first manned by the Old Lighthouse Service. That was the name of the company. Then the Coast Guard took over in 1939. And nothing major really happened there as far as like ghosts or spirits right. or anything like that. Plus, there was no major storms. There was no shipwrecks. Keepers just kind of came and went, and the Coast Guard quit keeping men on site there in 1973. That's when they did the automated uh, light there. The light was still maintained, but the buildings were really kind of steadily deteriorating And by this point. So in 1988, the Gulliver, Gulliver Historical Society took over, and they started doing some much-needed repairs. Well, good. It's a shame to let that get bad like that. What happens when you start doing restorations at these places, though? Daggone ghosts come out. Exactly. And that is when they became aware that they may have some tenants there that are no longer alive. The lighthouse may not be empty after all, as they thought when the Historical Society bought it. This kind of surprised me a little bit because of the time. I mean, you're talking about the late 1980s. But most of the initial restoration work was done by inmates from Camp Manistique Prison. And they had some kind of a contract with the Historical Society, and they sent inmates to do the work. Mm -hmm. But most of the time when you hear about inmates doing work, prison labor, it's usually like 
in the 20s and the 30s or whatever. It's not like I didn't know in the 80s they were still doing that. Hell, they, they may still be doing it, bro. Mm-hmm. I know with different prisons and stuff. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, you, that's you, okay. You see, I'm, I'm just saying it just kind of surprised me because right, I thought that was right. something that wasn't done anymore. And it may not be, or it may be. I don't know. I just don't know. Anyways, there were several occasions when the prisoners refused to go upstairs, claiming that they felt a presence of something supernatural up there. Right. Well, you know, I mean, I know you're going on with the story, but it kind of surprises me that nobody felt that before they started redoing it. I mean... But there may not have been anything going on until that time. Well, we're going to find out that there's some a lot of stuff that happened. So it may be there was stuff going on, but because nobody was there, they just didn't know They it. just didn't notice. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, babe. Right. So a few months after renovations started, a team of carpenters were hired to install some floor tile in the kitchen and the hallway. Most of the work went as planned until it was almost complete. To add the finishing touch, one of the workers came into the lighthouse on a beautiful, bright, and windless spring day. He let himself in and he locked the door behind him. Keep in mind that the lighthouse is typically closed in the winter months. And they were it was closed at this time. But even though it was closed, sometimes still people will drive up because it is like a... a National Park there. Yeah, State some, park, yeah of course. Some kind of park. People will still sometimes come up and wander on the grounds and take a look around, even though there weren't actual tours available. So, therefore, it was best to always keep the doors locked. So, yeah, that's what he I, did. I think it's a good idea. The worker was kneeling on the floor. He was at the base of the stairs in the parlor. As he started to nail down the subfloor, he could clearly hear footsteps up in the upstairs hallway. Oh. He stops hammering so he could hear better. But then the footsteps would, would stop. Oh, gosh. How that's annoying. So as soon as he would start hammering again, they would start up again. So he assumes that what he's hearing is some type of a weird echo effect. Right. He mm-hmm. hits the hammer yeah. and he's hearing that and thinking it's a footstep. So just to be sure no one was upstairs, he yelled, Who's there? He didn't get an answer, so he checked. He made sure that the door was indeed locked. It was. Verifying that he was alone, he went back to work. Of course, as soon as he started hammering, the footsteps started again. Same place, upstairs in the hallway. He stopped to listen. Obviously, he was expecting the footsteps to stop, as they did before when he stopped hammering. But they didn't. The heavy footsteps continued to march across the floor and even started down the staircase. Yeah, uh uh-uh. The frightened carpenter grabbed his tools and hurriedly left the lighthouse and he refused to come back alone. I don't blame him, but he wasn't alone. (laughs) Apparently not. One of the most common manifestations at the lighthouse is a pungent, almost nauseating smell of cigar smoke. Well, that stuff stinks anyway. Yes. It does. It's most commonly smelled in and about the same location as where the carpenter was working in the parlor at the base of the stairs. It's been smelled in the upstairs hall as well, though, so it's not always down there, but for the most part, that's where it's at. On one occasion, there were two visitors. They ran into the gift shop to inform the uh, tour guide that was working there that the lighthouse was on fire. They said that there was a terrible, smoky stench upstairs, 
and maybe it was the wiring or possibly somebody threw a cigar in one of the bedrooms. But they didn't see any flames? No. When the lighthouse was checked, everything was okay. Apparently, their ghost had struck again. How are you going to say there's a fire when there's no fire? Well, I mean, I understand the smoke thing, but... I mean, there could be... I mean, they're just... I guess you just, you know what a burning smell smells like. And if you're up there all alone and you smell that smell, it could, like I said, it could have been a wiring in the wall or something. Is it rude to ask the ghost to not smoke the cigar that, you know, don't smell good? I don't think it's rude, but I don't, really don't think they're going to listen to you. <laughs> They'll be like, you're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> One of the coolest parts of the lighthouse is the dining room. Now, they used to have an old picture of what the dining room looked like back in the day. Mm -hmm. And they used that to replicate the way that the dining room looked from the early 1900s. So, they have an antique round oak table, original china and stemware. The table... The little round oak table was the is the only piece of furniture that's actually original to the lighthouse. The rest of the furniture came from uh, surrounding residents that put furniture on loan from the same time period. Oh, that's so cool. But because this looks exactly as it did back in the early 1900s, there's a lot of activity. In oh, there. the ghost is like, yeah, we're home. But let me tell you the funny thing about the table. It was found scattered in different pieces where it had been taken apart. Oh, you know, it's okay. probably got a base and oh, a tabletop. Okay. It was in sections in the basement after all these years. So was there a reason why nobody wanted it? Because why would it just be not set up? Why, why would it be down in the be... basement yeah. and nobody took it? There's been people coming and going for years before the Historical Society bought it. Well, yeah. Why was the need to take it apart just to save space? Or... I was thinking maybe it was taken apart to, to get through a door or something. Oh, maybe okay. Maybe they didn't yeah. put it back together. That makes sense. But that's my thought. They didn't mention it anywhere, but being in the furniture business, well, some of these things, especially mm-hmm. the round uh, tabletops like that, yeah, you can't fit them through the door. Okay. Well, so, okay. That makes sense. And I think the lighthouse doors were probably smaller so than what Yeah, it's probably so. small in there for sure. So anyway, so... That was the other question I had was why was it in pieces? But that's that's my answer to where probably what happened. So there's silverware on the table, and that silverware has been known to move. So there was a curator on site, and they would set it up properly. By the end of the night, all the table was set exactly like it would be, and all that. The next morning when they came in, everything would be reversed. Usually the fork sets were upside down. Now, this is an important aspect because that is an old English custom. Oh. Have your spoons and stuff one way and the fork facing a different way. I wonder why. Well, why it's the custom? I don't know. No, why they do that. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Huh. But Captain Joseph Townsend, he's a former keeper. He was born in Bristol, England. That's where he was from when he came here. He is who most people think haunt the lighthouse. So one of the occurrences that turns heads is the mysterious closing of the Bible. They've got this very large Bible, very thick, heavy pages. And when I say this, it's it's like it's like one of those giant books. I don't mm-hmm. mean giant like as big as a person, but I mean it's probably three feet 
tall. If you stood it up, it's probably three feet tall. So it's mm-hmm. one of those big books. Mm-hmm. And they've got this little stand to where it's like made like a V. So you put the book there and you open it and it, it holds the book in open position. And for whatever reason, several mornings when they come in, the Bible is completely closed when they arrive. This isn't some. This is something that has some weight to it. Yeah. This isn't something that wind can blow. This isn't something you could just tap with your hand and close. Mm-hmm. You literally have to lift it to close because it's a heavier book. But on several different times, it would be closed when they come in. And this, like I said, this would be impossible for the wind to do because even if it could, there's no draft in there. Mm-hmm. So and it would take it would take probably like a tornado type wind or hurricane yeah. type wind to be able to do this because it's open from the middle. Not just the end. So there's a lot of weight on it. Anyways, in 1997, a film crew from Saginaw, Michigan, came to the lighthouse, and they were focusing on the restoration work that was being done. They weren't really interested in the hauntings at all. But while they were there, they had a number of strange things happen. The crew was given a tour by Marilyn Fisher. Now, she was the president of of the Gulliver Historical Society at the time. On the tour... They went to the, the Foghorn building. Down there, they've got some displays and stuff set up. So it's like a little mini museum down mm-hmm. there. One of the cameramen decided, as they were getting ready to leave, he was the last one out, they have a, an old piano sitting there. That's, I think it's one of the close to original to the house. But it, they, this piano is sitting there at the lighthouse. And it's got a stack of sheet music on top. Mm-hmm. Well, he did, he takes a piece of sheet music that was in the middle of the group and he lays it on top. So he has now changed the order in which the sheet music was. He put Blue Spanish Eyes, the song, on top. No one knew he did this because he was the last one out. So the group leaves. They lock the door. Why? Because what we said earlier, they yeah. don't want people wandering in. So they lock the door. They returned to the lighthouse after going and checking the uh, the museum pieces out. And the cameraman immediately asks, who's been in the building? And Marilyn Fisher informed him that nobody had been in the building. The guides were all gone for the day, and she had the only keys. The cameraman explained that when they left, he had put blue Spanish eyes on top, and now, for whom the bell tolls, was on top. Which is odd because I didn't realize that they were Metallica fans. <laughs> maybe it's a different one. Different okay, I'm sure it is. But the sheet music changed position three times during the evening, as well as did the silverware on the oak table while they were there. Did she yell at him for touching that stuff? He shouldn't I, have been touching that stuff. I didn't get into that much specifics on if they were chastised for it. Wow. Oh. <laughs> I just wondered. I'm guessing probably not. Three members of the TV crew and a clairvoyant, they decided they were going to sleep in the place, and they all slept in sleeping bags on the parlor floor. Five times during the night, they smelled the pungent cigar smoke. Each time lasted about a minute. It was so sickening that one of the members left and went to a hotel. I mean, what kind of cigars he's smoking? Is it made out of horse poop or something? I don't know, but... 
some of the, I mean, some of those cigars, just the big cigars, they just have a nasty smell anyway. Just, yeah, but that's like really bad if somebody had to get up and leave to go to a hotel. I would get up and leave if I had to keep smelling it. I don't like, I hate that smell. Oh. So the, the TV crew that was there, they were also uh, videotaping. They had some tape rolling and the cameras set up throughout the house just to let it run through the night. They videotaped mysterious hologram-like images in an upstairs bedroom mirror. The mirror would suddenly cloud up with a bubbling vapor effect, and then it would turn into two different faces Ooh, how and cool. then disappear. One of the faces seemed to transform into like a skull-like image before fading away. The other face, though, it had a long nose, bushy eyebrows, a beard, and a mustache. And that just happens to fit the description of Captain Joseph Townsend that we spoke about earlier. I said most think that he haunts the place, right? And mm -hmm. here's why. He was the keeper from 1901 to 1910. He died at the age of 65 years old on August 10th, 1910, in an upstairs bedroom. And from what people understand, and I don't really have details, that it's believed that he died a very painful death. Like I said, I don't know why or what it would have been or why they believe that, but that's the understanding. Well, that's sad. The body was quickly embalmed in the basement of the lighthouse. Do you was, think it was like a disease or something? They I, had to get rid of him that quick? I don't know. Well, you're talking about 1910. Yeah. So. Well, the reason that they were doing it is because he had family. Well, I'll get into it. He was placed in, in a rough cedar casket and laid out in the downstairs parlor for viewing. Some of his children had to come from very far away. I think some of his kids came from England. Mm -hmm. So he was laid out a lot longer period of time than usual. And I think that's why they um, hurried up and bombed him because they knew yeah. he was going to be laid out longer and they wanted to get yeah. that. You know, well, I understand that. He had the traditional copper pennies placed over his eyes. What's that mean? You know, have you ever seen that where they put pennies over people's eyes that were dead and they would tape them in? No. We talked about that? Because I don't remember it. That's just like common knowledge. Well, heck far. Why they do that for? I mean, I think they just did it to keep their eyes closed, to keep their eyes from popping open. Oh. Yeah, people used to do that in the old days all the time. They would put pennies over top of somebody's eyes when they died. I had no clue about that. Huh. Not a clue. Interesting. So anyways, I tell you all this because that mirror is in the bedroom that they believe is the one he passed away in. And there's an old saying that, you know, people's souls can possibly get trapped in the mirrors. And if you don't cover them up mm -hmm. after somebody passes away and they think that's possibly, you know, you believe in that kind of stuff that that could be possibly why you keep seeing faces yeah especially a face that resembles his in that mirror so let's jump back to the film crew real quick they left a camera aimed at the doorway all night long when they checked it out the video failed but they got audio of like a whooshing sound mm -hmm. and there was nobody up there this was just by itself the strange thing was that that camera worked fine all day long before that, and it worked perfect afterwards. But the video failed that while they sucks, had it. That sucks, man. 
They had no logical explanation. The next morning, one of the cameramen got cocky. He said, Mr. Ghost, stop playing games and make your presence known. A horrible stench entered the room and the man became violent, ill, nauseous, throwing up, and he was sick the entire rest of the morning that he was there. Careful what you ask for, folks. This is the last thing from, from this crew, anyway. One cameraman was filming from outside. It was dark, and he was shooting, you know, picture of the, into the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. He said he witnessed a dark shadow walk across the hall to the parlor through the window, and the lighthouse was locked and nobody was inside. Oh. Did he get that on film? Yes. Nice. In 1995, the lighthouse hosted its very first wedding since 1936. Back in 1936, it was one of the keeper's sons that got married. Mm -hmm. But this was, I guess, uh, now I guess they were trying to rent it out for weddings and stuff like that. Well, that's a pretty cool idea. One of the family members decided that she wanted to go in check out the lighthouse area and get an idea of where to place the flowers mm -hmm. and stuff. As she's in the lighthouse, she said it's a very hot afternoon. She feels a really sudden burst of cold air. And then she smells cigar smoke. She looks around. She didn't find anybody there. So she sits back down on some of the uh, couch or something in her chair. Again, the blast of cold air hits her. And the smell of cigar smoke. So she decided uh, to hell with these flowers. I'm just getting out of here. <laughs> we'll figure it out tomorrow. Already. Yeah, for real. In the late 1990s, a woman who was new to the area was out for a drive. Her and her husband just kind of driving around, admiring the scenery. And she sees the lighthouse and she drove up to kind of look around. As she approached the parking lot, right at the entrance to the lighthouse park, she sees an old man leaning against a tree near a little clearing out there. So it wasn't right there at the beginning. It was a little clearing that she could see off the distance, and he was leaning up against a tree. She said he had a white, bushy beard, bushy eyebrows, and he was dressed in a navy blue uniform with a matching hat. Said he was just standing there, just staring into nowhere. She blinked her eye because it was such a strange sight, and when she opened her eyes back up, he was completely gone. As she got out of the car, she told her husband, and he just kind of shrugged it off and says... It's probably somebody from the staff. Yeah. So they had a great tour, but was told while they were in there that there was no one matching that description on the staff. And she did see a lighthouse keeper uniform on display in there on a mannequin, which we'll talk about later. And she said it was the exact same type of uniform as what the guy was wearing. Mm -hmm. And she was reassured again that there was nobody there. In, they don't have anybody in those uniforms on the staff. And the lady that was given the tour was the only one that was there that day. Well, she got lucky then. Right. She got to see something. So several months later, her father sees a newspaper article on the lighthouse. And he kept it for his daughter. It had a picture of Captain Townsend. And it was the same man that she saw that day. Aw, lucky. The ghost stories go back to the Coast Guard days here. One of the caretakers said that he and his family would often see unidentified figures in the upstairs window. One of the last Coast Guard keepers claimed that there were ghosts in the house. He said he clearly remembers one day when he was cleaning the lens. He said it was absolutely spotless. Then he'd go back up there and there would be fingerprints on it. 
and he was the only one that had access. Yeah, but do ghosts have fingerprints? No, but they also don't have clothes, but you can hear them whooshing. And well, that's they true. They don't have feet, and you can hear footsteps. So <laughs> that's true. Because none of that's irrelevant. A clairvoyant once visited. He entered the house, and he walked up the stairs. He quickly came running back down the stairs, hyperventilating, saying that he had to get out of there. It took him a while to gain his composure. He cautiously went back several years later. He said that someone had died a terrible death, and that's what he had felt that day. Oh. So that kind of ties in with, with the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. In June of 1997, a group led by Jack Edwards went to the lighthouse to investigate the haunting. They decided that since people were always smelling cigar smoke, that maybe they could use cigars in some kind of a test. So they placed four cigars around the home. One was placed in the upstairs bedroom, one in the mirror bedroom, one was on the dining room table, and one was on the corner post of the lower staircase. Mm -hmm. They all went to bed. When they woke up, the cigars that were on the table and the staircase were missing. The ones in the upstairs bedrooms were still in the exact same place they had left them. The forks on the dining room table had also been repositioned. (laughs) Where did the cigars go? They would find out several hours later. The uniform of the keeper, Ronald Rosie, remember I said that we would get more to that uniform, it's on display at the lighthouse. It's on a mannequin. The guys initially noticed that the hat on the mannequin had been turned backwards. As they approached, the two cigars were in the jacket breast pocket. Stop. So there you go. Whoa. I guess the other two cigars weren't stinky enough. I guess. There was some, uh, there was another group that came up there and they brought cigars and they were like different price cigars, but the most expensive was like $8 and mm-hmm. that was the only one that didn't get touched. So they thought that maybe he had a pension for cheaper cigars. Oh yeah. And the $8 one was a little too expensive for <laughs> his taste. So there's been a couple of different cigar tests back there. That's That was a good idea. They did that. Yeah. Very cool, man. So there you go. There's the story of the Sichua Lighthouse. Sichua? Sichua Point Lighthouse in Gulliver, Michigan. It's very interesting. So, awesome. All right. Thank you guys for listening to that story. We're going to take a really quick break from our sponsor. And then uh, we're going to get into uh, some iTunes reviews and stuff. But DC O'Rourke is coming up. And trust me, you're going to love this story. You keep Wait till you hear what happened to him. On this investigation, he did. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> awesome. So let's take a really quick break from the sponsor. All right, Tracy, real quick. Eight tickets left for St. Augustine next month. Us, history goes bump, and there's still some tickets left for the St. Augustine Lighthouse investigation that night before. Mm-hmm. I will try not to fall asleep. It's from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. It's way past my bedtime. Yeah. So we we'll can't hang, man. We're getting old. So that's going to be fun. And got a couple of professional tour guides coming to help us out. Oh, well, that's so awesome. It's going to be awesome. You can get tickets to both of those events, hibbleyhorrorstories.com. Also, as well, you can check out the cruise, tickets to Bobby Mackey, tickets to um, Memphis, Galveston, and Dallas, Texas. All those are available on the website. Sounds amazing to me. Good. Okay, so 
Let's go ahead and give us the reviews for this week because we had a bunch again. We did. You guys are amazing. Thank you so, so much. Um, we have Lucy M. Reed, Magic 4392, Rabbit Food, Mojo Lobster, Mary Cats, Mindy 0007, Sally Ann 1987, Fire 1523, Com Mom 5, Spiders from Mars, and one was a bunch of letters. Like of 24. Let's talk about those bunch of letters. Okay. All right. So I don't really like to complain about reviews. They are what they are. We make fun of sometimes and we poke at them. This one I kind of have an issue with. And I'll say this because the review was a one star, but everything in the review was awesome. Mm -hmm. They liked Tracy. They liked the shows. They liked everything. So you're probably thinking, well, why the one star? Was it just an accidental hit of the button? No, it was not. Because it started off saying, and this was right after last week's show, that if you continue to get political, I love the show, but I'm going to have to stop listening. Now, the only thing that we talked about on the show that some people will consider political is we talked about the death of the deputy, Brandon Shirley. And we went into detail about how it's horrible that that's going on. So let me say this. We're not going to talk politics on this show ever, but we are going to support our men and women of the military and our police department. We back the blue. And no, I'm sorry that if you consider somebody ambushing a police officer and walking up to them as they're in their car and shooting and killing them just because they're a member of law enforcement, if you consider that political, then we've got way bigger uh, differences of opinion than what I care to have. Um, I, don't, I will never tell anybody not to listen to the show, but if you have a problem with us talking about our men, men and women's safety that, that are part of our law enforcement, you probably don't really need to listen because we're always going to bring that up and talk. I don't consider that political to talk about it's wrong to kill our military and our uh, police officers. And if you consider that political and it causes you not to listen, then so be it. Hmm. So with that with that being done, you know, said I'm I'm done with it, but you know, and I'm sorry if who if 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 you consider that political, I just that's somebody's life. Right. And to sabotage and kill anybody, that's not politics. Just because he happens to be a member of the police department, that makes it quote unquote political to people these days. If he'd have been uh, a gardener and we talked about it, nobody would have had shit to say about it. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's my rant. Even though I said I was done a second ago and I got back into it. <laughs> uh, amen. I agree with you, honey. All right. Our Patreons this week are Griffin, Clary, Ralph Z, Rational Ignorance Podcast, and Kenson Anna. Thank you guys for your support. We appreciate y'all so much. We do appreciate all your reviews. Uh, I appreciate that y'all take the time to write them. It means the world to us. And we just love you guys, and we're just happy to be a part of your all's lives. Yes, and we're excited that these live events are getting ready to start happening. I know, me too. So I'm just very excited and and happy to see everybody. And like we say, just keep the reviews coming, and we just love y'all. Absolutely. All right, let's listen to DC O'Rourke. It's going to be fun. All righty. Hey, guys, I have got DC O'Rourke. 
on the uh, hotline with us here. And, and you guys, I'm sure, have probably recognized that name. He's in all the groups and stuff on Facebook. He's also a host of the Hauntingly Yours podcast, not to mention a paranormal investigator who's got some cool-ass stories to share with us tonight. And then he's also been a tour guide at uh, in Williamsburg, Virginia. We've done a couple of shows in Colonial Williamsburg. So we're going to pick his brain on a little bit of everything tonight. But but he's got an amazing story to share on something that happened uh, very recently here in the past three, four, five days. So first of all, thanks for coming on, DC. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's first talk about the Hauntingly Yours podcast. Tell everybody if they haven't heard the podcast what it is and how they can find it, what, what you like to accomplish on each one of your episodes. So um, Hauntingly Yours um, is all about presenting the stories of those that history chose to leave behind. Um, season one, I started off with taking haunted places from all across the world um, and presenting them with the history and then the hauntings that could very well, you know, um, help us come up with some explanations for why some of these things are taking place at certain locations. Like, you know, I, I covered Huska Castle and the, the Czech Republic. And then um, I covered uh, actually Talbot Tavern in Bardstown, uh, Kentucky. So, I mean, we kind of bounced all around the place. Um, season two, I kind of changed things up. I'm still doing the the same thing with, you know, presenting history and hauntings of places, but also I'm throwing in exorcisms and uh, tales of haunted objects. And once again, you know, all about presenting the, the history, of course, that could very well explain some, some of the stuff that might be going on um, with these people or with these objects. So trying to branch out and look for, you know, those stories that need to be told, you know, because I find that most of them are either swept away, you know, under the rug or they're lying on a shelf in a closet somewhere and, you know, it's full of cobwebs and it's my job to go pull all those out, dust them off and present them and tell them the way that they need to be told. Um, the, the podcast itself, though, um, currently it's still in the midst of season two. Um, we've been going for about a year now. Um, we're on all the major platforms. Um, you can go to L-I-N-K period E-E backslash constantly yours paranormal. And that will tell you everything you need to know. So as far as the, the podcast, obviously you've, you've got that going on for the last year, but you've been a paranormal investigator for a while. And I'm going to jump on that in a second. I want to first talk about your time as a tour guide in, in uh, Williamsburg, Colonial Williamsburg up in Virginia. We've done a couple of episodes on it. We've made it clear that we absolutely love the place. I'll probably do another episode. There's so many places there. But give me an idea from your time there. Because you said you spent, what, like six years there? Yeah, I actually still work there, funny enough. Oh, you <laughs> still? Okay. But yep. have you had any personal experiences or is it just a lot of uh, stories that you've heard from other people? Oh, I have experiences every week. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's, there, there's never a dull moment, you know, and I've, 
I've been doing this so long now that the, the spirits who, you know, still call that place home, they've become familiar with me. And when I come to these locations telling these stories, the, they come out and interact with me and greet me. And um, it's, it's awesome. You know, um, I, I, I love the feeling knowing that I have the official approval from the, the guy standing behind me who used to live in the house, <laughs> you know, 250 years ago. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had um, a few um, pretty like intense experiences there. By far, I would say my most intense in Williamsburg uh, happened back in 2016. One night I, I was doing a tour for the, the foundation there at the time because I used to be a, a tour guide for them. And we had a group of 45 people. Um, we went to this place called the Prentice Store. And that night I, I kind of changed it up. I decided I wanted to, rather than stand on the front steps like I normally would, I wanted to go around into the alley where it was nice and dark and you know, add a little bit more atmosphere uh, to the, the story that I was preparing to tell. And I took my group to the alley, encouraged them to gather around. I put my back against the, um, the side of the store and I stood under this office window and this office window had a black curtain nailed to it to help maintain an 18th century appearance. I stood there, I told them all about the hauntings and, uh, well, excuse me, I told them about the history first and then the hauntings. And, you know, I joked whenever I would bring people here, you know, because these stories all pretty much said, you know, you should watch what you say whenever you're in this place or outside this place, because there's some unseen force here who is very much protective of the building. And I had a group of kids sitting at my feet and I looked down at them and I said, all right, kids, look, I know what you're thinking. You wanna you try and provoke Mr. Prentice and say something bad. I, 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 I don't recommend it, don't do it. And next thing you know, one of these kids, he jumps up and I went up, oh, here we go. He looked at the window I was standing under. He said, Mr. Prentice, are you here? I think your store is stupid. And he spit on the ground at my feet. I said, all right, man, I warned you, you're on your own. And of course I'm joking about this. I mean, I don't, I wasn't really putting any stock into the whole thing, but something happened and it scared the crap out of him. He took off running to the back of the group, started yelling at his mom. She's like, what, what's going on? He's look at the window, the guy's under. She turned around, I kid you not, she went pale as a sheep. I mean, she had no words, couldn't see anything. And I looked at everybody else as one by one, they too started looking at the window, going pale as a sheep. And before I know it, nobody was talking. I mean, there was complete and total silence all throughout the group. And here I am going, uh, guys, what's going on here? You know, because I was the center of attention in a bad way, um, or rather an awkward way, anywho. But somebody yelled out to me from the back of the group. And I look back, there's this older guy, probably in his 70s. Um, he's got a New York Yankees hat on. He's got a camera around his neck. And, he's, you know, he's kind of waving at me. And here I am trying to figure this whole thing out and he uh, points something out kind of interesting to me he says should anybody be in the store right now 
And I said, no, why? He said, because the window you're standing under, there's a bright light on inside the store and there's a guy sitting there in a chair. I said, no, that's not possible. The store closed at five o'clock. I even looked at my watch. I said, yeah, it's just after nine. What are you talking about? He said, my friend, you need to turn around and look. There's a guy sitting in a chair, plain as day. You can't miss it. And by the looks on everybody else's face, I knew I absolutely had to look. So I took a couple steps out. I turned around and I looked in the window. And I kid you not, I saw just what that guy said. I mean, there was a bright light on. There was a guy sitting there in a chair. And I went, holy cow. (laughs) Um, All right. You know, there has to be an explanation for this. I mean, there has to be. So I said, hey, guys, hold on. I'll find out who this is. I walked up to the window, I knocked on the sill, I yelled at this random guy, hey buddy, sorry to bother you, I'm Denny, I work for the Coin Research Foundation. I just finished a tour out here and everybody's absolutely terrified. Please tell us you're not a ghost. And you know, I kind of left it at that, waiting and all the while I'm just kind of staring at him. You know, I see this perfect profile of a guy, uh, long brown hair, much like myself, pulled back. Um, he was sitting in his chair looked like he was at a desk working. Maybe, um, I could see his ears, his neck, he had a very prominent collar on the outfit that he was wearing. And I could even see the, the chair itself, the wooden chair that he was sitting in. But anyway, a few seconds later, he got up and he turned around and looked at me. And what I saw there in that moment was. A middle-aged guy um, dressed as an 18th century merchant. I mean, there was no denying that at all whatsoever. Very prominent uh, collar on the outfit, very eminent stitching. I mean, it was exquisite. And I knew our uh, costume department did not make anything of that caliber. It was just far too good. But he leaned in and put both of his hands on each of his knees, like we were squaring off on the baseball field or something. <laughs> and I thought, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do this. Mono we mono, you know? And here I was thinking the guy was going to tell me off, but actually nothing ever happened. Just when he leaned in and we got that, you know, up close experience with each other, the light inside went off. He was gone. And then the black curtain reappeared that's always there i safe to say didn't know what to do (laughs) didn't know what to think i just went oh dear lord i've got a group of 45 people that i have to give a give a logical explanation to so i turned around and found my entire tour group was gone (laughs) All, all 45 people i had taken off running and I look off in the opposite direction. There they go, <laughs> cutting down Duke of Gloucester Street. And I'm like, all right, hey, guys, hope you enjoyed it. But um, I got back to my manager's office, told him what happened. And he was all too excited about it. And suddenly somebody approached me. It turned out it was the gentleman who brought the man in the window to my attention. And he said, hey, buddy, um, since, you know, we just had this uh, little uh, incident of ours take place, I thought I should show you something. He held out a camera for me to look at. And on that camera, he showed me a a pretty awesome picture of the guy in the chair before he got up and disappeared that he himself had taken. And I got him to send it to me. Um, So pretty much 
whenever I tell that story on tours now, I encourage people to hang out with me for a few minutes at the end. And then I share that photo so they can kind of, you know, see proof of what happened to me and 45 people that night. That's awesome. I was hoping that guy got a picture when you mentioned that he had a camera around his neck. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah. 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 That was, that was really cool. It, so did you have, you have, when you do the tours out there, do you have period clothing on as well? No, no. It's been a while since I've, since I've done that. Um, once upon a time, I was a, a historical interpreter for Colonial Williamsburg as well. So I would have worn the, the 18th century costumes and I, I played many different parts for them. Um, but whenever it came to telling ghost stories, um, both for them and the company I work for now, um, it's plain clothes, modern clothes, I should say. Yeah, I didn't know like when you approached him, if you were in some type of uh, period clothing, that maybe he was intimidated thinking you were from his time period or not. That's why I was curious. Oh, yeah, no, that that that, that would have been kind of interesting um, because I think maybe we, we would have gotten a little more of a, a rapport going. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've actually been thinking about here recently, I've been encountering um, a few spirits uh, from Blackbeard, the Pirates crew um, down at the public jail in Williamsburg. I've actually been contemplating going and getting an 18th century outfit and trying a little bit of uh, pirate role play, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> I mean, I've got the long hair and the beard and everything, I figure. Yeah, I could probably pull it off, but if they're intelligent enough, they'll probably tell me, you know, to piss off and keep it moving. <laughs> yeah, where's Johnny Depp at? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So what led you to become a paranormal investigator? What, what experiences in life or uh, on the jobs made you think, hey, this is something that I want to get into? Well, um, we can actually go all the way back to my childhood um, when my grandfather passed away. Um, he died two days before my 13th birthday, and he and I were incredibly close, so that devastated me quite a bit. Um, I remember shortly after we buried him, I woke up in a dream, in a, which entailed a, a room that I was in. It was a very large room. And it was incredibly white. Everything, every which way I looked was white. And the room itself seemed like it went on forever. And I was consciously aware that this was more than a dream. Uh, but I started exploring and I made my way to the end of the room. And as I got near the end, I heard a voice yell out to me and I recognized that it. it was my grandfather. And I said, okay, what is he doing here? I got close enough and he popped up sitting on this massive chair that looked like a throne and he was in a white suit and he looked very youthful looking. He had a big smile on his face and he said, come here, come here, come talk to me. I came over. I said, Papa, what's going on? He said, look, I know I'm gone, but I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. I want you to know how much I love you and I hope you have a good life. And before I even had time to react, I woke up in tears thinking I was still in this room, but I was back to my sad reality of being a 13-year-old boy in his room <laughs> trying to get a good night's sleep. 
And I told everybody about that. My mom, my dad, my, you know, my stepdad, uh, the, the reverend in my church. And they were all like, oh, you're just a young boy. Your imagination's getting the better of you. You're trying to accept your grandfather's death. You know, forget about it. Um, it's interesting, though. I told my grandmother about it. And she was the only one who actually accepted my story. And she said, you know, that's kind of funny because you were the last person your grandfather asked about before he passed away. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. He wanted to know if I had seen you during the day. And it was like a few hours after that, he had a cardiac arrest and yeah. Um, so I firmly believe that my, my grandfather came back to visit me to, you know, give me that, that final message, of course. Uh, and my grandmother's story, of course, confirms that for me. So that right there in itself kind of put me on the path, I guess you can say, to um, kind of absorbing as much as I could about the afterlife and, you know, learning more. And uh, surely enough, probably about five or six years later, um, I got <laughs> more than I bargained for when a friend of mine asked me to go ghost hunting for the first time. Now, you know, I've watched like um, mm -hmm. ghost hunters on sci-fi, you know, with Taps, uh, Jason Hawes and uh, all those guys. So I was kind of like, oh, all right, yeah, let's do this. Um, <laughs> he, and I, he and I ended up going to this place called Old House Woods, um, which is this 60 acre patch of woods, um, probably about 10 minutes from my parents' place. And it's said to be haunted by pirates and witches and headless animals, and all, you know, anything you could possibly think of from like a Robert Louis Stevenson story or an Edgar Allan Poe story. I mean, it was all right there, one place. Uh, he and I ended up driving through the middle of the woods. And I remember feeling the energy at the place as soon as we got there. I mean, it was just after midnight. And the only way into the woods is this, you know, very narrow dirt road. Is like something out of a, you know, a Stephen King movie or something. But we ended up driving down the road and we got to the end. And there was a private property sign. And I went, okay, man, what are we doing? He was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. We turned around, started driving back through the woods. He stopped the car and he got out and encouraged me to do the same. I got out and I said, what are we doing? He said, just relax. Have a seat. Have a seat. He sat on the road just a few feet away from the car and I followed suit and he said, I'm going to attempt something called astral projection. And I said, what is that? <laughs> he said, well, in layman's terms, I'm going to make my spirit leave my body and I'm going to go wander around the woods and see if anybody's out here that might be willing to talk. And I said, yeah, okay, have fun with that. But he, um, he cautioned me. He said, if you see anything while I'm under, um, please tap me out and, you know, get me back to reality because I, I don't want to get stuck out here. And I said, yeah, okay, man. All right. All right. Let's get on. With this." <laughs> and I'm sitting here looking around the woods and the moon, the full moon is coming right down on us. Um, it was right at the beginning of July. So it was already starting to get pretty hot out. 
And I'm looking around 10 minutes past, 15 minutes past, 20 minutes past. I'm just we're out in the marshland. So, you know, the wind's blowing, you're hearing the frogs chirping. And every time the wind blows, uh, this place is full of nothing but pine trees. The pine trees are kind of swaying, clapped together. And that, that right there in itself was creepy <laughs> hearing those trees do that. But I'm just kind of observing. And after a while, I'm, I'm starting to see what looks like shadowy figures crossing back and forth. Uh, over the dirt road just several feet away from us and then I hear something that gets my attention I hear what sounds like a twig snap my eyes dart in the general direction I hear it coming from and then I see movement it looks like somebody's coming through the woods pushing the foliage and tree branches around and they're headed right in my direction I said okay but I didn't look away I sat there and I watched because I honestly wasn't sure what exactly was going on but uh, it didn't take very long because I saw hands of a physical person moving through that woods and a few seconds later they stepped out but they were no longer a person all I saw was this big black cloud vapor and it floated out of the woods over the dirt road just several feet away from us and it just kind of levitated there and a few seconds later it dissipated and what was left standing was the shadowy figure of a man and all i could see was um, a tricorn hat on his head and a long flowing overcoat and i went okay i am not seeing this you know this this isn't happening he threw his arms out to the sides like he wanted to duel and I said nope no <laughs> I, I'm not doing this not doing this I ran over to my friend I said hey 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 I tugged him by the arm I said come on let's get out of here and he was like what what who, who, what's going on I said look behind you and with that I took off running for the car he looked back and said oh crap he took off running I got up to the car, I was huffing and puffing, I was nearly out of breath, but I jumped in and I crawled into the back seat. I looked out the windshield and I see him running full steam ahead for the car. And right as he gets up to the trunk, I see somebody reach out for him and throw him against the car. And next thing I know, this struggle has ensued and my friend is fighting for his life. He's screaming and yelling, and trying to get this, this figure off of him. And next thing I know, I see, boom, he, he throws a right hook and connects with whatever this was. And he comes running around the car and he jumps in. I'm like, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. He's like, you didn't even help me. I'm like, hey, forget about that. Let's <laughs> the get past out of the here. past. <laughs> yeah, forget this. <laughs> And um, he, I mean, he, he went zero to 60 and I felt like three seconds. I mean, he was out of there. And I looked out that back windshield and I saw this, this shadowy figure, the man in the tricorn hat and the long flowing overcoat, who was now illuminated by the light of the moon. And he was chasing after the car. I mean, and actually keeping up with it for a good distance. And I guess after a bit, he just decided that it was too much and he stopped. And the last thing I remember seeing of him, 
I could clearly see that he was a pirate. There was no denying it. He was a full-on pirate, 17th century, um, right down to the very letter. And after he had stopped, about six more men showed up behind him, dressed very similar fashion, and they were all illuminated by the light of the moon. And what can I say? After that, I was hooked. I had to that go looking pun? for more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I got a couple of quick things to ask you because I know that in part of your paranormal investigations, you use dowsing rods. Mm-hmm. Explain to our listeners who may be wanting to dabble in something simple. I've got two sets of dowsing rods. I've never used them. I got them for Christmas too, with the intention to use, but I'm a complete beginner. I have watched people use them. I've played with them as far as, you know, just trying to ask questions and see if I got anything. Dowsing rods seem to me like uh, one of those instruments that some people completely swear by. Other people say they just don't believe in them at all. And I'm talking terminal investigators. Uh, where do you weigh in on the importance of dowsing rod as far as how good of an instrument it is? And what is the key to using them? If you were telling people out there like myself who mm-hmm. has some or wanted to get some but have never used them, what's the secret? Because it seems like you could hold them and if they're just at least a little bit level, they'll do what you want them to do. They'd be easy to manipulate if you wanted to. And I think that's where the problem comes in at it. You, you know, I, I myself, I'm like, Hey, did somebody just answer or did I just tilt my hand or something by accident? So tell me a little bit about dowsing rods. So um, dowsing rods, I, I personally think are an absolutely wonderful and necessary tool on investigations. Um, because if you go with a the theory that spirits are energy they can channel this energy of theirs through the rods and ideally answer our yes, no questions. Um, but I mean, the original intent for dowsing rods was not spirit communication at all. Uh, if you want to go way back down the line, I mean, I'm talking 8,000 years. Uh, the original intent for dowsing rods was to find water. Right. People, yeah, people would take a, a forked willow branch and go around and look for water. And then over the course of time, uh, the others started realizing, okay, well, what else can we do with these? And soon enough, you were looking for um, underground electrical wires, ley lines. Um, you could actually even find unmarked graves on properties. I, I did that for the first time a couple of months ago. And I have to say, it's kind of wild. <laughs> Never thought for the life of me, I would be able to pick up on uh, unmarked graves using dowsing rods, but it's, it's very, very effective for that as well. Now, in terms of investigating with the paranormal, um, there's really nothing to it. It takes a little getting used to though. I always tell people that you have to kind of develop a bond with the rods that you're using before they accurately start giving you those answers that you're looking for. And it's very important that you relax when you're doing it. Um, Now, when it comes to kind of removing what we call that um, idiopathic reflex, I guess, you know, where Mm -hmm. you're holding the rods 
and getting whoop, uh, when you're getting those different lost my train of thought here. Um, when you're getting those different answers, you can do different things like um, putting on a blindfold or sitting down in a chair. Um, like I'm just sitting here at a table right now. And conveniently, I actually do have my dowsing rods right next to me. <laughs> Perfect. So, I mean, I could easily take my dowsing rods, point them in front of me by resting my arms on the table and kind of relax myself and know that my arms are steady. So I can easily get those questions answered that I have. Um, one thing I will say, it's very important to keep your mind clear because you can also manipulate the rods with your, with your mind. Uh, I know some people that won't even ask their questions out loud. They'll just do it in their head, which I don't exactly agree with because I feel like you're going to run into some inaccuracy. Um, but generally when I start off investigations, I'll show up at a site and I'll just test out the energy real quick and see if I can pick up on anything. And then I'll get the rods to tell me whether or not anybody is there so I can get that confirmation and if they're willing to talk. And depending on what the rods tell me, I could easily just move on down the street. Interesting. Well, that gives me a little bit to, to work on anyway, as far as that goes. So I saved this for the very last. We had already set up this interview. And mm -hmm. uh, so I was excited about it already. But then you had, uh, we'll say something happened the other night that seemed like it was a pretty big deal on one of your investigations. And uh, I wonder if you would share that with us because I haven't heard this story yet. And I'm excited to hear it because it sounds like it was a pretty big deal. <laughs> it certainly was a big deal. Um, so I was actually on a public paranormal investigation hosted by Transcend uh, Paranormal and RTL Paranormal. Um, we got to investigate Scotchtown, which was the home of Patrick Henry, uh, one of the founding fathers here in the United States, and then Hanover Tavern, uh, which I'm currently in right now. And um, Hanover Tavern actually has two other buildings across the street. You've got the Hanover Courthouse and the Old Stone Jail. So last weekend, Saturday night, we investigated three, these three places. Um, it was eh, pretty, you know, lackluster, I guess, in terms of the activity at the, the tavern and then the, um, the courthouse. Little did I know when we would go into the jail, things would actually get very, very intense. Now, I, I was in a very small group, um, maybe eight people at most, we went um, into the jail, walked upstairs. And as soon as we got upstairs, I, I felt the energy. I mean, it was, it, it was just making my skin crawl, you know? We looked um, down this narrow hallway just outside the sheriff's office. And at the end of the hallway, there was a holding cell. And there were stacks and stacks of these ledgers um, that were actually used by the jail in the 1800s when it was actively being used, which I thought was very cool. Little did I know though, um, this hallway where I was kind of getting bad vibes from, they used to use this hallway to hang people 
if there was um, too much going on outside at the hanging tree, if they had a lot of executions lined up, hey, they string them up right there in the rafters. So I went, all right, that kind of explains that, <laughs> that negative energy. We walked into the sheriff's office and we all sat down, you know, we all found chairs around the room. I went to the far back of the room. I got comfy in a corner right next to this huge stack of ledgers. And two of the experienced investigators in the group actually asked me to um, do the Estes method. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically you, you take a, a spirit box, um, plug in a noise canceling headset, you put on a blindfold and then you put on the noise canceling headset and you kind of deprive yourself of your basic senses. And then you have somebody else ask questions and it's your job to kind of, I guess, be the messenger to the spirits and call out whatever's being said. I sat there and I did this for a few minutes and I started hearing some interesting stuff, but it got dark really quickly. I, I was hearing pain, sin, death, death. I mean, they just keep, they just kept on repeating it. And here I am just calling out what I'm hearing. And then I feel like somebody rushes up on just, you know, like somebody coming in real fast. And I was like, okay, whoa, I didn't say anything, but I kind of put my hands up like to tell whatever entity this was to, you know, kind of keep it moving back off. And a few seconds later, I started laughing, laughing like uncontrollably, but very psychotically. And I just, I was in my head and I'm going, okay, like, why am I doing this? But again, I kept going, back off, back off, leave me alone. This is my space. And whoever it was, they backed off. Now, I finished out the session a couple of minutes later, and I was going over the, um, the, the answers I was shouting out versus the, the questions that were being asked. And one of the investigators asked me, she said, why were you laughing like a maniac? I said, I didn't hear anything funny. Let me, let me point that out. I didn't hear anything funny. I felt somebody rush up on me and I felt their energy, I guess. And it just started making me laugh like that. And she was like, it was crazy. And everybody was like, yeah, that was nuts. Well, here I am just kind of commenting on this when I feel that exact same thing. Somebody rushes right up on me. And this time the blindfold's off. I didn't see anybody. Everybody was sitting in their chair and I went, oh crap. I ended up doubling over where I was sitting because this energy was so intense. And I started laughing like from my bowels all the way up through my esophagus. I mean, this very deep and maniacal laugh. I mean, I ended up laughing until I was red in the face. I had no control over it. I, I was trying to talk. The group was asking me things. I, could, I couldn't muster a single coherent word from my lips. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, with that kind of laugh, but it worked. And so the investigators started going, okay, who's doing that to him? Who's making him laugh like that? And I'm just all the while laughing, laughing. And finally, one of the investigators, he was like, do you not want us here? do you not want us here? And my head started nodding without me doing it. <laughs> and then I 
from my lips, I finally said, yes. I mean, exactly in that tone, that way. I mean, it wasn't my voice. And I, I said, you know what? I should probably get some fresh air. I should probably get out of here. And everybody's like, yeah, go do that. Get out of here. And I said, I don't know who you are or what you want, but you're staying here. You're not following me. And I walked outside down the steps. And when I got outside, I ended up laughing probably for another 10 minutes with no choice in the matter. I kept laughing the exact same way. And every time I get a hold of it for a split second, I start laughing again. And I just, I'm just out here trying to wrap my mind around this. I'm like, okay, something's got me. Something, there's something here that's got me. And finally, I gained control of it. I said a bunch of prayers in my head and I, I felt it let go. I came back inside and one of the investigators from RTL Paranormal came down to meet me. He was like, hey man, are you okay? I was just coming to check on you. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I have no idea what, what really just happened here. And he was like, well, you know, the energy is getting, getting to you, you know, it, it happens. And I told him, I said, I'm going to try and go back upstairs. You know, I'm not the type to, you know, let something like that happen and just walk away. He was like, you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, you know, I can do it. I put my hand on the railing to the staircase. I looked up and I felt the energy and I looked right up at the top just at the very top of the banister. And I, I got the impression that whoever it was was right there just peeking at me with a big smile on their face. And I started laughing. As soon as I felt it, I started laughing. Again, no choice in the matter. I started laughing, that deep maniacal laugh. And I just said, <laughs> he's right there. He's right, he's right there. And the, the investigator was like, okay, you know what, you know, let's get you out of here. We, we need to get you back outside. And I got back outside and he and I were talking. And all the while I kept feeling the energy that had me shifting. It, it was upstairs shifting, moving from one window to the other. And I could tell I was being watched. Every time I turned and looked at that building, I felt it. And it would pull me in and I would start laughing. I turned my back away, it would stop. But if I look back, I would start laughing again. And finally, I, I got it together and I said, and said to the investigator, I'm going to try and go back in. He was like, no, you shouldn't stay out of here. I said, no, I, I, I can do it. I can do it. And I went back inside. I walked up the stairs. Soon as I got to the threshold of the door to the sheriff's office, I felt the energy in the back of the room right behind the chair that I was sitting in and I started laughing as soon as I felt it. And a couple of the investigators were still in the room. Uh, the group, by the way, the people that had actually paid money to come do this. Oh, they booked it. They were out of there. <laughs> I mean, they got their money's worth and they were gone. Um, but I felt that energy. I started laughing and one of the investigators was like, Oh no, not again. Go, go, go back outside. <laughs> Something, something's got you. Get out of here. Go. And we finally wrapped up and we started moving across the street and everybody was like, hey, are you okay? You don't seem like yourself. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm fine. And um, we got back to the Hanover Tavern and they had one of the one of their other investigators come over and check me out. And she practices Reiki. 
she said, I'm just going to kind of look over your aura and make sure everything's good. And she said, I want you to, you know, tell me if you feel anything. She started touching on certain areas. And I was like, okay, shoulders, lower back, back of my neck. And as soon as she hit the back of my neck, I started laughing like I had been over at the jail. I was like, oh, God, he's here, he's here. And she's like, okay, it's all right. I'm, I'm getting rid of it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of it. And next thing I know, it felt like somebody had pulled a heavy coat off of my shoulders. And I felt euphoric, like very lighthearted, happy. And I was like, I think it worked. And she was like, you, you should start feeling a lot better. Um, not sure exactly what happened. It was very odd, but I think something got you. And I was like, yeah, I think that's safe to say. Now, uh, I was talking with um, a buddy from Spirit Guides Paranormal. And he said, I think you might actually have an attachment. Maybe I should uh, get the wife to kind of hone in on you and um, see if we can pick up on anything. I said, sure, what do I have to lose? So 20, 25 minutes passed maybe, and he, he sends me a message. He says, turns out you had two attachments. Um, one of them was nasty and pretty psychotic. And the other one was just a bit of an a-hole. Um, you should start feeling better very soon. And I was like, uh, okay, I guess that makes a lot more sense now. Um, but yeah, I'm, that's pretty much the end of the story. But I, you know, I'm, I'm literally right across the street from this place. So my mind's just kind of going, oh gosh, you know, I'm getting straight in the car and not looking at that place at all. Um, I, I guess whatever I picked up kind of interacted with the energy in that place and something transpired that, you know, I won't go as far as to say I was possessed, um, but it felt like it. It felt like it. I had absolutely no control over that laughter while I was there at that jail a week ago. I, there was nothing I could do about it. And I felt like if I had stayed too much longer, like physically inside the building, whatever it was could have very well overtaken me. Single-handedly, the most intense experience I've had with the paranormal state. And that's, that, that, that's putting that up against the, uh, the shadow pirate <laughs> right? <laughs> from all those years ago. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was a wild night. Well, I, I know I speak for our audience when I say, thank you for going through that right before the interview. So we had that to talk about. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> DC, it's Absolutely. been fun having you on, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I, it was my pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Tell everybody again one more time before we get off here how they can keep up with Hauntingly Yours. Yeah, so Hauntingly Yours, um, just go to L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E backslash Hauntingly Yours Paranormal. You can find it on um, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all, all, the, all the big places. Awesome. Thank you so much, brother. We'll talk to you soon. And hopefully when we make it out that way, we'll hook up and do something together. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Take care. There you go. I told you that was uh, full of energy and no, no letdowns in there. He's got tons of stories. Oh my gosh. That's, um, I wish we had like tons of stories like that. 
We do. I just keep them all to myself. I've been told them all that for five years. Oh. <laughs> well, we need some more new stories. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much. Go check out DC O'Rourke's Hauntingly Yours podcast, and you'll hear some cool stories. And then also uh, join the group on Facebook. It's a fun group. Yes, it is. So show your support. All right, guys. And we'll see most of you next Saturday <gasps> Yay! in Louisville. All right, you guys have a blessed week. We love you guys so much.